Welcome to Footnotes and Witness. I'm Deborah J. McKenzie, and this is the podcast where we study the Bible to see Jesus rightly and find him in our own story. Let us be faithful witnesses to his character and glory. So we've spent several weeks talking about Jesus's crew and looking at the decisions he made and what that says about Jesus and his character. Last time we talked about Judas Iscariot, the betrayer. And he, after betraying Jesus, went and killed himself. So he needed to be replaced. And the person that replaces him is Matthias. So we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about him. And then we're going to spend the rest of the time talking about Paul, the famous apostle, not apostle. So Matthias, his first mention is in Acts 1, 23, and his name means gift of God. The whole account in Acts 1 is really from verses 15 through 26. Basically, Peter quotes Psalms to justify that Judas Iscariot must be replaced. So a reasonable question is, why is the number 12 so important? Why did they have to have 12? So one possibility could be that 12 was a justifiable group of witnesses, and the early apostles viewed themselves as that. They were an eyewitness group of people who saw Jesus perform miracles, do his ministry, was crucified, died, and was buried, and then was resurrected, and then had spent time with the apostles after that resurrection. So they viewed themselves as witnesses. Another possibility could just be that Jesus chose 12, and they wanted to keep going with what Jesus had done for them. So in Acts, it tells us that there were about 120 people in attendance at this meeting. So the apostles weren't doing everything by themselves. They were in community with other believers. And what we see in these scriptures is that there was a list of requirements that Peter had laid out to consider when picking a new apostle. In verse 21, he says that they needed to be accompanied in other apostles. They needed to be in attendance. They couldn't be a new member to the group. Another requirement was that they had been in attendance since the day that John the Baptist baptized them and that they were an eyewitness to the death and resurrection of Jesus. So we see a couple of things here. This is just another reminder for me that my VeggieTales picture in my mind is incomplete. Every movie or depiction I've ever seen of Jesus has very few people in attendance at his crucifixion. Like maybe it's just Mary or just a couple of people. But we see that there were lots of witnesses to his death and to his resurrection. We also see that they wanted someone who was faithful with a little responsibility, that they had been in the group, but not been one of the foremost leaders for a long time. And we know that someone who's faithful with little can be trusted to be faithful with much. So Matthias was chosen by casting lots. I feel like there are lots of really weird customs in the Bible, and that deserves a whole episode by itself. But basically, by casting lots, we can see that they wanted to keep the decision in the hands of God. So they looked at all the witnesses there, all the people who had met those requirements, and they came up with two people. And then they cast lots, basically casting dice or maybe putting their names on slips of papers and choosing one at random. Essentially, this is before they're blessed with the Holy Spirit. And by giving this decision up to what we amount to a game of chance, this was a way to leave the decision in the hands of the Holy Spirit. But what we can see is that everyone in attendance, everyone in that community, they were unified. They prayed and they knew that only God could see the hearts of men and they were not arrogant enough 
to leave the decision up to themselves. And that's a good thing. I think we should probably do that more often, right? So in verse 16, Peter seems to be aware that God will allow hard things for the overall good and for God's will. Peter says, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. There is a certain peace when you give up control. That could have been a crazy, stressful decision to make, especially in the mindset that Jesus was betrayed. So even he can be betrayed. It might even look like even Jesus can make a mistake. But Peter saw and modeled the behavior that God doesn't make mistakes. And therefore, Jesus knew that he would be betrayed and he didn't stop it. And so by doing that, by seeing that, they said that sometimes things need to happen that we might consider painful, but for God's will, it's definitely the right thing to do. So Matthias was chosen, and we don't hear a lot more about him after that. So my reflection questions are, is there a place in your life where God is asking you to take on more responsibility? Is there somewhere where you have been faithful with little and God is calling you to be faithful with much? Maybe it feels scary. Maybe it feels like you don't deserve it. Maybe it feels like you're not good enough. I wonder how Matthias felt. Those were some big shoes to fill. What does it look like when you need to make a big decision? Do you pray about it ahead of time? Are you in community with others? What about if you were the other person? Have you ever watched your friends get what you always wanted? Just because they hung out with Jesus doesn't mean that they were perfect. I'm sure there were people in the group with big ambition and desire, and some of it may have even come from a good place, but God chose Matthias probably because his heart was not in that vein of needing to be famous, of needing to be important. It can be so easy to find our identity in ministry, in the church. And because it's for a quote unquote good reason, we don't stop to think about why am I doing this? If someone else got all the credit, what, how would I feel about that? If someone else took over this ministry after I've done all the work of putting it together and getting it going, am I still going to be okay with that? If those questions bother you, good. That's a great place to start. If you're in a ministry and your whole identity is wrapped up in it, then it's probably a good time to leave that ministry. Okay, let's talk about Paul, the famous apostle, not apostle. And when I say that, it's because he wasn't elected like Matthias was. We can see that there was a different process for Paul. That doesn't mean that he was an apostle. He calls himself an apostle many times. Because remember, apostle just means a messenger. And Paul was definitely a messenger. So let's talk about him. His name is Saul. And that's the Hebrew form of the Latin form, meaning Paul. So it's actually the same name. But one is going to be way more comfortable to the Hebrew people. And one is going to be way more comfortable to the Greek people. And something that I always kind of assumed was that Jesus was the person who changed his name. But that's not true. Paul started to go by Paul whenever he went out on his ministry trips throughout Greece, probably in an effort to be more comfortable to those people. So I think there are a couple of really great legacies that Paul left us. 
He was passionate for the Lord. He wrote a lot of books, most of our New Testament. So some of the books are still debated as to whether or not Paul wrote it. The number could be as high as 14 different books. And we're talking out of the 27 books of the New Testament. But mostly we don't argue about the epistles. An epistle is just a fancy word for letter. So Paul wrote very specific letters to specific churches about their specific problems. So those are the books like Galatians and Colossians and Corinthians. So we first meet Paul as Saul, the Pharisee. We meet him in Acts 7, verse 58. And what he's doing is overseeing the stoning death of an early Christian leader named Stephen. Now, Paul tells his witness testimony several times in the book of just Acts, but also in other places. And what is so extraordinary about Paul sharing his witness testimony is that every time he tells it, he's admitting to the people that he's talking to that he spent a large majority of his life trying to imprison that person. So when he's talking to the Christians and telling his testimony, he said, I was hunting you down. I wanted you dead and I wanted you in prison. But then I met Jesus and everything changed. And I think this is Paul's real legacy. He admitted he was wrong and he changed his mind. Today's climate has people feeling so alone and in opposition, opposition to family, friends, and even previously established like social groups. Changing your mind can be seen as weakness, like your character isn't strong enough that you changed your mind, instead of an act of growth and maturity. Paul was a character of extremes. Anything that Paul considered doing, he was going to do 100%. So Paul actually describes himself in Acts 22 verses 3 through 4. And I just made a list. This is a great inductive study method. Anytime you come across what looks like a list, number it in your text, write it down, make that observation. Lists are so helpful. So in his own self-description in Acts 22, he is a Jew. He's born in Tarsus, which is in the Mediterranean. He was raised in the city, so he had good education. And we know the name of his educator. It's Gamamil. Gamamil. I don't know how to pronounce it correctly. Don't worry about it. Starts with a G. But that person that he was educated by was a Pharisee also and a celebrated doctor of the law. He gave prudent advice to the Sanhedrin respecting the treatment of Jesus's followers. So what does that mean? In a very crude simplification of the Hebrew kind of establishment, the Sanhedrin was like the court of law, and they were the ones who actually enacted punishments, where the Pharisees were the ones who studied the law. So a Pharisee would be like uh, someone who studies the Constitution and then gives advice on how the judges in the Supreme Court should rule. So that's a very crude oversimplification of this process, but hopefully that helps you put it in perspective. As a Pharisee, Paul would memorize a lot of scripture, know it very well, to the point that he could give advice for others about how it should be followed. He also considered himself zealous for God, and he persecuted Christians, including death and imprisonment of men and women. This was Paul's own self-description. In Acts verse 3, it says, Saul, meaning Paul, was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, the next chapter, Acts 9, is when we see Paul in his conversion moment, when he's on the road and something happens to him. But what was he doing on that road? 
So what he was doing was heading to a a capital type city, Damascus, so a big city. And his sole purpose in going there was to hunt down Christians. In your Bible, it probably says followers of the way. And way is probably capitalized because that's what they called people who followed Jesus. It wasn't until the church in Antioch that Christ's followers were called Christians. So Paul had sought out and received permission papers from his authorities, from the Sanhedrin, from the Pharisees, to have basically carte blanche on hunting down the followers of the way. He could go and do it however he felt necessary. So when I say Paul changes his mind, it's not like he decided to wear Converse instead of Vans. Like he changed so much. What we see from this description is he dedicated his life to hunting down Christians. And he did it with a zeal of the Lord. What's really hard about that is that he was basically the Gestapo, the police, a bounty hunter to the Christians. And his motivation was a belief that he was acting in God's will. People have done horrendous things acting in what they think is God's will. Let's talk about race purity, slavery, the Crusades, even terrorism. These things are so dangerous because the people doing them believe that they're acting in God's will. This isn't a personal motivation, but a higher calling. And that is something that people are not easily dissuaded from. It's the same fervor and assuredness that Paul had whenever he counted his life as insignificant in Acts 20. But now he's doing it for Jesus and not for his own idea of what God's plan is. So he goes from hunting Christians down to telling us that he's not ashamed of the gospel, to being imprisoned, to suffering. Romans 1.16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. So Paul flip-flopped. He wavered. And yet he is bold in that decision. And we affirm him in that decision. But if somebody changed that dramatically in your own personal life or today, you would have something to say about it. You would be like, whoa, what are you doing? That's a huge change. You would have to leave behind your whole life that you had built up to that point and start all over. So we kind of discourage people from changing their mind, even when you know it's for a good reason and you're doing the right thing. So Acts 9, this is when Paul is converted. So the account in Acts 9 where Paul actually meets Jesus on the road, is repeated in two other places. And this is a great inductive study method. Just like when we looked at all the different lists of the names of the apostles, we could make observations and get some insights. So I highly encourage you to go and read these three different accounts and see the differences. So Acts 9 verses 1 through 19. Acts 22 verses 6 through 21. And Acts 26, verses 12 through 18. So basically, there's a bright light, and Paul's walking on the road, and he's blinded. And there are many people with him. And then a voice comes out, and he's like, hey, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? And he's like, who are you? Paul's blinded. He doesn't know what's going on. He's like, I'm Jesus, and you're persecuting me. Knock it off. So they continue on to Damascus, and he's told to go and sit in this particular place. And this whole time this is going on, Jesus tells someone else in Damascus, hey, Paul's going to come to the city. He's been blinded. You're going to pray for him and he's going to follow me and everything's going to be okay. Well, Ananias, the guy in Damascus is like, whoa, do you know who he is? 
He's kind of an evil dude, and he's been persecuting your people. And Jesus is like, I know, I got it. Go do this. So there are so many like beautiful little tiny details in these stories. And I love that. I love seeing the Bible come alive. So all these things happen and lots of people witness miracles and Paul becomes saved. He believes in Jesus and changes his life dramatically. So the rest of Acts 9 shows the process of him having to go to the disciples and they have to hide him basically because now when you start talking about Jesus, the Jews tend to want to kill you. So he has to go and hide and they give him that sanctuary in his hometown. And then at the end of Acts 11, we see Barnabas going and getting Saul. And the disciples spent a year with him talking about their beliefs. And then obviously they feel like he's legit, that they can trust him. And they send him with Barnabas out to go send some relief money to the churches. And this kind of begins Paul's ministry. What do we see about Paul? He changed his mind in a radical way. He changed his whole life. He changed his motivations, the people that he was with, the community he was in. He was a pretty famous Pharisee. He probably had a pretty cush life. And now he's going from town to town, being stoned. He was shipwrecked five times. He was beaten with lashes many times. Like he did not trade a very comfortable life for a nice, comfortable life with different people. He traded a comfortable life for one filled with pain and sorrow and misery. And yet, he counts it all joy because of Jesus. So the motivation is really important. I feel like there are some people that I have met who are not Christ followers, and they have had really difficult lives. And I don't know how they get out of bed in the morning. Like, Jesus is my hope. Jesus is my Savior. He is the only reason that I know it will be okay because this world is broken. It is full of pain and suffering and trials. But yet, we have eternity with Christ right now. We don't have to wait until we're in heaven. We have a life with Him right now. So, my reflection question for you when thinking about Paul is. Is there a time when you have changed your mind and it has caused you to lose relationships? Has there been a time when you had to admit that you were wrong, you changed your mind, which meant that you had to give up on friendships or family or loved ones because you changed your mind? Has that ever happened to you? For some people, it may have been coming to Christ. But for people like me who grew up in the Bible Belt, that's usually not going to be the line in the sand that pushes people away. I know that I alienated someone very close to me because I stopped watching a TV show. It was something that I felt I needed to do. It was a TV show that was very popular, but had a lot of sexual elements and violence in it that I didn't feel comfortable watching anymore. And that other person took it as a judgment. It really upset them. And that was hard. But it was something that I know I needed to do. I had to change my mind. I had different values than that person. I wasn't judging that person. I have no problem if they continue to watch that show, and they did. But it did draw a line in the sand. So it may be something as simple as that. But can you think of a time when you've had to change your mind and it cost you relationships? Now, what can we see about Jesus in this? We see that Jesus went and sought out Paul. He went and sought out the person who was hurting his church 
in a huge way. So he went from Judas, who betrayed Jesus. He hurt Jesus in particular. That was one person to one person. Maybe Judas, you know, really hurt the 12 because they were all in a posse. And that was probably pretty hurtful that one of your close friends betrayed your leader. But that was a small group of people. So we see Jesus going from Judas and doubling down. He was like, you know what? I'm going to go after even bigger baddie, Paul. He's persecuting and putting my people in prison. And I'm going to tell him who I am, and he's going to follow me. And he is going to bring so many people to come and follow my way. That is what I see about Jesus. He is relentless in his pursuit of the people he loves. And I take so much comfort in that because there are people I dearly love who do not follow Jesus yet. But I know that Jesus pursues the people he loves relentlessly. I know he never gave up on me. I did some terrible things and said terrible things to Jesus. And yet he continued to pursue me. There was a period where my sister and her home group were praying for me to come back to the church. Like for years, they were so faithful to pray for me. And Jesus heard them and was praying with them because he couldn't wait until the day that I came back to his church also. Jesus pursues those that he loves because he is a good friend and he's worth it. And that is good news. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening to Footnotes and Witness. This has been such a fun journey to discover all the things that we can learn about Jesus through looking at his crew. And next week, we're going to talk about some of the highlights and if there's any corrections that need to be made. And we get to do that with my husband, Mike McKenzie. I'm so thrilled. So make sure that you subscribe and that you get ready to download next week's episode as well. Also, if you have any questions, I would love to hear it. You can email me at footnotesandwitness at gmail.com. Pretty easy, right? I would love to hear if something was confusing or maybe something that you learned that you didn't expect to learn, something that was really awesome, or how you saw God's character come alive through this time. Hopefully, looking at Jesus' crew has helped you see Jesus more rightly. And by looking at their witness testimony, you have been able to see yourself. I know that it is such a gift to see that God chose people who were imperfect, who messed up, and sometimes betrayed him, because that means he could choose me too.